Father, we're asking that your word be planted in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit and you cause faith to rise up in each one of us, that we would be men and women who walk in greater faith because we've been here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there was this guy, his name was Bubba. He lived deep in the hills of Kentucky. And he nor anyone else in that area had ever seen a hang glider. But he saw an advertisement for one in a newspaper, so he decided he was going to buy one. So he ordered it. But he didn't tell anybody about it. He didn't tell his parents particularly because he wanted to surprise them when he sailed over their house on the hang glider. So he secretly took it to the mountaintop. And after struggling to get it on top, he got ready to fly. He took off on a running start. And then into the wind he went. And meanwhile, his mother and father were sitting on the front porch of their house talking when Ma spotted the biggest bird she'd ever seen. She said, look at the size of that bird, Pa. And Pa exclaimed, go get my gun, Ma. So she ran in and got a shotgun, and he came out, bang, 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 bang. And the monster-sized bird continued to sail silently over the treetops. I think you missed him, Pa. Yep, you're right, I guess. But at least he let go of Bubba. Sometimes people don't see things accurately. And that can be a serious problem. One of the things that people haven't seen very accurately throughout history is the Bible. There have been all kinds of torture done to the Bible. Tortures, interpretations, misunderstandings, misapplications. One of the things we want to do in this series that we've started called God's Grand Story is really to look at the Bible and how it all fits together, how we can rightly understand it, interpret it, and apply it to our lives. Now, we started with the book of Genesis, and we summarized the book of Genesis into a simple way of remembering it. It's four events followed by the lives of four people. That's the book of Genesis. The four events are creation. Then there's the fall, entrance of sin into the world. Then there's the flood. God brings judgment in the days of Noah. And then there's the division of the nations, ethnicities and languages spread out throughout the earth. Those four events are followed by the lives of four people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Abraham, then his son Isaac, then his son Jacob, then his son Joseph. And that pretty much summarizes the book of Genesis, four events followed by the lives of four people. Now today, what we want to do is we want to jump in and talk about the life of Abraham. If you miss any of those messages on those four events, you can go online, gracearlington.com. It's all free, and you can catch up and be in the study with us. But there is a great example for us in the life of Abraham. In fact, there's no greater example of faith in the Old Testament than the life of Abraham. In fact, when Stephen, in the book of Acts, is standing before the Sanhedrin, and he is arguing with his Jewish leadership at that time, he begins to talk about Abraham and his great faith. And when the Apostle Paul writes the book of Romans, and he wants to explain justification by faith, he uses Abraham as the example. Abraham exemplifies a life of faith. And so what I want to do just in one brief message is try to summarize this amazing 
life of faith and how, what we can take away from it ourselves. Now, I'm going to break it into really four parts. The first part is his walk of faith, his walk of faith. Hebrews 11.8 says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out, not knowing where he was going. Now, in the Greek, this phrase, when he was called, is a present participle. Translation really could be, when he was being called. In other words, as soon as he understood what God was saying, he started packing. And that really was, there was instant obedience on the life of Abraham. Now, when he heard God call him to go away from his home and his family, he didn't know where he was going. He would go step by step. But there was instant obedience in the life of Abraham. And this is the first feature of a life of faith is a walk of faith. And a walk of faith means simply this. It's a person, a man or a woman, who listens and obeys. When God tells us something, we obey him. We follow his lead, even if we don't know all of where he's taken us, because Abraham didn't. We follow him step by step. Well, let's go ahead and look at Abraham's life, Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now, the Lord said to Abram, now his name is Abram, God changed his name to Abraham, same man. Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I'll make you a great nation. And I'll bless you and make your name great, and you sh so, so shall you be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Now you got to remember that Abraham grew up in an unbelieving, idolatrous, pagan society. And God chose to call him in the midst of his surrounding paganism and idolatry in order to do two things, to bless him and to cause him to be a blessing to others. Remember, out of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's name is changed to Israel, will come the nation Israel. Out of Abraham, and God's plan is that Israel would be blessed and would be a blessing to the nations of the earth. That was God's plan. He starts with Abraham. But I want you to notice that the beginning of, right at the beginning, we see a life of faith exemplified by Abraham really exemplifies a willingness to leave one's old way of life and to begin to follow God as he, in his plan for your life. That's where a life of faith starts. It's a person who's willing to leave their old way of life. That's what repentance essentially is. I'm, I'm leaving my old way of life of sin and selfishness, and I'm willing to follow God now in his plan for my life. And that's where it all begins. And so... Let me just ask you this. As you're thinking about your life of faith and God leading you, remembering this, he only leads you step by step. He doesn't give you the whole plan ahead of time. What is the next thing God is asking you to do? What is the next step God is leading you to do? And are you willing to trust him and follow his lead as he leads you one step at a time? A life of faith listens and obeys. 
Now, the primary way we listen is through the written word of God. But God also speaks right into our hearts and minds. And the people of faith listen and obey. Okay, the second feature that we see from the life of Abraham is the perspective of faith. Let's read Hebrews 11, 9 and 10. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now, Abraham, even though he was a very wealthy man, God had blessed him with a tremendous amount of wealth. He never built any houses. He never built any cities. He and his sons and grandsons, they, they, they lived in tents, even while they were living in the promised land. See, Abraham knew that something better was waiting for him. He knew that there was a place that God was making, a city God was making, a place for him in that city in heaven. And he longed for that place. And he lived on earth like a traveler, like a sojourner, like, a, like an alien, a foreigner. See, he realized he was just passing through. And he realized that there was, he was living for an eternity. And we call that living with an eternal perspective. Faith does that. Faith doesn't just concentrate on things here below. The life of faith concentrates on the reality that I'm going somewhere else. In fact, my citizenship is in heaven, according to the Bible. And I'm here on assignment, and I'm just passing through. See, if our focus is just the here and now, then our tendency is that we're going to kind of live and die with every little thing that goes wrong or, or everything, every difficulty that lasts too long or every time we're not successful, or every time we're not appreciated. It just bends us out of shape. Well, a life of faith means, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dwelling on everything here and now. My, my, my focus is on what is to come. I know that I am a citizen of that heavenly place, and I'm here on assignment. In fact, we're called in the New Testament ambassadors of Christ. See, an ambassador, his citizenship is somewhere else, but he represents that country wherever he is. Well, our citizenship is in heaven, and we're representing heaven on earth. That is the eternal perspective. And a faith, a life of faith has an eternal perspective. So that's the second feature. A third feature we get from the life of Abraham is the power of faith. True faith releases God's power. In fact, we see this in the life of Abraham in the miracle of the birth of Isaac. If you remember... From a human standpoint, it was completely impossible that Abraham at the, at the age of 100 and his wife Sarah at the age of 90 would give birth to the promised child, Isaac, through whom the nation Israel would come and be a blessing to the nations of the earth. It was impossible for that to happen. Now, in fact, add to that the fact that God told Abraham and Sarah 25 years earlier that this promised son would come. And think about how with every year of waiting, how it became more difficult and challenging to believe that God was really going to do this. Year after year for 25 years. And sometimes they faltered in their faith during that 25-year period. Both Abraham and Sarah laughed on different occasions at the promise, at the whole idea, the whole absurdity of giving birth to a child at that, at that late age. In fact, Sarah, if you remember the story, even took matters into her own hands 
not thinking it was going to happen through her body. And she convinced Abraham to have a son through her maid, Hagar. And and we just see this. So we see them faltering different times in unbelief. Sarah was pretty much bent on doing things, taking control and just making this thing happen. The problem is she learned that this disobedience didn't produce really what she was hoping to produce. In fact, her idea and Abraham's acquiescence to this idea produced a son. It did produce a son by the name of Ishmael, whose descendants from this day, I mean, from that day to this day, have been a plague on the descendants of the sons of promise. Out of Ishmael came all the Arab peoples, and out of Isaac came the Jewish people, and they have been, you know, banging heads for hundreds and hundreds of years. But Abraham did believe God. He did come back to a place of faith at his late age that God would indeed fulfill his promises, and he modeled for that by believing God would keep his promises. Even when it didn't look like it could possibly happen, he kept believing, and Isaac was born. And the promise, Isaac is the promised son through who now a great nation would rise up and be a revelation of truth to the world. And, of course, out of that nation would even come Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So God fulfilled his promise to make Abraham a great nation. And true faith is key in releasing the promises of God, even in our day, if we're going to do the impossible. So much in the world is, is released due to the people of God having faith. If you, if you study the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus said on more than one occasion, let it be done to you according to your faith. So it's, it's, it's through the people of God and their faith that so much is released on the earth. It's also through the unbelief of the people of God that so much is not released on the earth. And so it's so important that we really are people of faith. Keep continue to believe the promises of God even when it looks like that promise cannot be fulfilled because it surely didn't look like it to Abraham and Sarah. And even though we falter our times, we need to come back to a place of belief in the promises of God and stay true to that and hold on to that. Okay, now I want to get to the fourth feature of faith in the life of Abraham, which I think is the most important feature of faith, and that is the proof of faith. And I want to take the rest of our time on this feature. Let's read about the proof of faith in the life of Abraham. Hebrews 11, first, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He, Abraham, considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him, Isaac, back as a type. Now, this is one of the most amazing stories in the Bible. And it's one thing, you know, it's one thing for Abraham to you know, come back to a place and hold on to a place of faith and believing the promise for 25 years. I mean, waiting for the promised son, Isaac, to be born was hard. It was hard. Waiting on the Lord is hard, but there's something harder. There's something much harder. What God asked Abraham to do next was the hardest assignment of his whole life. By the way, this is not just a story about the willingness of Abraham to make a costly sacrifice. I've heard that preached, and this is way more than that. 
I mean, Abraham has already shown his willingness to make a, a costly sacrifice. I mean, he's given up everything to follow this voice of God. He's given up his homeland. He's given up his family. And he's been on it just to follow God. He knows what it is to make a sacrifice. This is not just about making a sacrifice. Up to everything, up to this point in his life, he's been able to give, be ready to give up everything to follow God's plan. But this is different. God is asking him to do one more thing. God is asking him to give up the promise. Give up the dream. Give up what you've looked forward to your whole life and just give it up. Now, what is that all about? Well, let's walk through this story slowly and carefully. Hebrews, I mean, sorry, Genesis 22, verse 1. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. I want you, you know, that the first thing we notice is that Abraham did not know that this was a test. We know this is a test. The scriptures tell us both in Hebrews here and in Genesis, this is a test of Abraham's faith. Abraham is not told, Abraham, it's okay, this is just a test. No, that's the thing about tests. When we go through tests, and we all do, when we go through tests, God never says, I want you to know this is just a test. No, it comes disguised as real life, real pain, real loss, real difficulty. Now, here's the test. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. I mean, with each description, the commandment becomes more painful. From Abraham's perspective, God is not only asking him to do something so strange to him as, as a child sacrifice. He's thinking that God would never do that. That's strange enough in his mind. What he's asking him to do is to actually destroy the promised child. I mean, he's asking him to actually, it seems like God's actually working against his, his, very, his very plan. It's like God's working against himself here. God, it's through Isaac will come the nation. You want me to kill Isaac? Sacrifice Isaac? God, it seems like you're working against yourself. By the way, you ever feel that way? Your relationship with God that things are happening in your life that seem to be going against the very thing you think God was leading you to do? It's like God is actually working against you? You called him to do something? I mean, God called you to do something. It feels like and God is actually working against you doing what he called you to do. Times like that, we just, and we, and we all been there, and we would say, God, what are you doing here? How does this work? How can this turn out good? How can this possibly accomplish what I believe you called me to be and do? Why are you letting this happen? But in those times, we've got to keep believing and keep trusting and keep obeying to see what God will do in the end. And Abraham does. 
He doesn't. He, he cannot figure out how this could possibly accomplish what God wants to do, but he's going to obey him. Let's read it. Genesis 22, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering. And he rose and went to the place in which God had told him. On the third day, three days now he's traveling to Mount Moriah. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go yonder and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Aren't you glad Abraham didn't say, You're it? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there. And he arranged the wood, and he bound his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. Now stop there. See, at this point, I think we want to cry out and say, Abraham, it's okay. This, it's all right. God's not like that. This is just a test. It's not, it's not going to happen, Abraham. He's going to stop it. God will provide something else. But life doesn't work that way, does it? I mean, you can only go through life one chapter at a time. When you start at the beginning and then in the middle of life, you can't jump to the end and see how it all turns out. That's not how life works. You can only go one chapter at a time by faith, trusting that God will make it a good ending, a happy ending. And that's what Abraham had to do. Abraham wasn't allowed to see that this is just a test. and wasn't allowed to see God's going to turn it all around. At that moment, he is in the middle of it. Just like us, we're in the middle of our test. We're in the middle of it. We can't jump ahead and see how it turns out in advance. We got to go chapter by chapter. And we got to go by faith. But what was going on through Abraham's mind during those three days on that donkey? You know he's trying to figure this out. He knew that God promised that it would be through Isaac would come this great nation that would bless the whole world. And yet he's telling me to kill Isaac, to offer him as a sacrifice. For three days, he's mulling this around. He's mulling it around as a man of faith. So he concludes that what God is going to do after he kills Isaac is God's going to raise him from the dead. He concludes that. We know he does because the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us he concluded that. What's interesting here is there's no mention of, of Abraham's feelings through all this. There's no mention. He doesn't question God. Like, God, I just got a couple questions here. All there is is instant obedience and trust. So he builds an altar. Then he takes the wood off of Isaac's back, 
He lays Isaac down and he binds him up. What a moment. What a moment for him. What a moment for Isaac. And then he picks him up, his son, his only son, the son whom he loves, the promised son. And he lays him on the altar. And then he takes that knife and he's ready to slay him at that moment. Now, again, I want to linger at, I want to linger at this place for just a moment. I think we want to hurry past it. We want to get to the happy ending. But God's not like that, and God interrupts it. We want to get there, but I want to stay right at that moment for just a, for, for a few minutes and linger there because the truth is, if you live very long, you too have Mariah moments in your life. What do I mean by that? I mean moments where the laughter's died out because there's no laughing going on at Mount Mariah right now. Moments where our dreams seem like they've been totally dashed. And God seems to be working against us instead of for us. Mariah moments. I could tell you story after story of how it's looked like when the God had abandoned his work, abandoned his plans. How it looked like God was working against himself in situation after situation. Only to tell you at the end of the story, God came through. And he always does. But when you're in the middle of the story, that's where you hold on to faith that he will come through. His promises are true. He will keep every one of them. No matter how dark it looks right now, no matter how much this doesn't make any sense, no matter how much it looks like God's working against the very thing he called me to do, by the end of the story, God will come through. In the middle of the story, which is where we are, you obey God, you trust God. And that's what Abraham did. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now understand this divine intervention came when the sacrifice was already made in the mind of Abraham. He already decided he's coming down with his knife. He wasn't faking it like, I mean, that decision was made, and God stopped it from actually happening. And here it became clear to Abraham. At this point, Abraham now knows it was just a test because God tells him it's just a test. Now he knows it's just a test. It also became clear to Abraham, not only was it a test, but it was clear also to Abraham that God took no pleasure in child sacrifice and never will. Now, let's see how God rewards Abraham. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. Verse 16, he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and not, have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens, as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seat, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Because you have done this. The blessing is reiterated, but then there's an addition here. God says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing to the nations through your seed. Of course, seed comes Israel. Through his seed comes Christ. 
you're a blessing to the whole world. But he says, he adds one thing to the, to the reward here. He said, and your seed will triumph at the gate of their enemies. That's interesting. Your seed, Abraham, your seed will triumph at the gate of their enemies. Now, what does that mean? In the ancient world, cities were walled cities for defense and protection. And they had a gate or gates. The only way into that city and out of that city was through the gate. So the city gate became a place where all kinds of important city activity happened. When those outside the city wanted to sell things in the city, they would set up a place of commerce at the city gate. If you've ever been to a flea market and walked through all those vendors, that's what the city gate looked like as, they were, as people were doing business. But also there became disputes during these business decisions. And so the city gates became a place of adjudication. The municipal court would sit there. Judges would sit at the gates. In fact, we see in 2 Samuel, the king sat at the gate to dispense justice. We see the elders would sit at the city gates and make decisions for the city. So the city gates became an important place where these authorities over the city sat and made decisions, strategic decisions, for the welfare of the city. Now, knowing that helps us understand what Jesus meant when he said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell would be a reference to the leaders of hell who plan their, their strategies and planning sessions will not prevail against the church. That's what Jesus is talking about. But there's something important for us to understand that we, we too, as those who know Christ, we are spiritual descendants of Abraham. That's what the Bible says. Here's the verse. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants or seed, heirs, according to the promise. So we are heirs of the promises made to Abraham because we are his seed, his spiritual seed. Now, what, what promise did he, did he just get right here? He was promised that his seed would triumph, would triumph at the gates of their enemies. So who are our enemies? Our enemies are not flesh and blood. The Bible is very clear, Ephesians chapter 6. Our enemies are spiritual powers of darkness. So the gate of our enemies is the strategy sessions of the spiritual leaders of darkness. Their strategies and plans against your life and my life. And we can possess those gates. We can prevail over those strategies as Abraham's seed, as men and women of faith. Those strategies can be broken. We can, we can break those strategies. We can stand against them. We can withstand those assaults. Let me give you a picture here. <clears throat> there are so many Christians living in, in bondage, in spiritual oppression and bondage that they don't need to, that, that they have the authority in Christ to walk, to walk right through that, break right out of that bondage if they will believe it. You've got to have faith. You've got to believe it. They did an interesting experiment. They, they made a papier-mâché prison one time, or at least some prison rooms made out of papier-mâché, 
But they painted them, and it looked like concrete and looked like, you know, you could not break through these walls. But they were paper mache. And they put some criminals in these cells, and these criminals never even tried to break out because they looked like they couldn't. It looked that way. It appeared that way. All they had to do was get to the back of that cell and run. They would have broken right through those paper mache walls. But they didn't understand that, so they didn't even try. But the truth is, there's a lot of Christians where the devil's put a paper mache prison around you. And you have authority to break through that. There's no bondage that can stand against you. And there's no bondage that can hold you. But you've got to believe. Believe the truth about who you are in Christ and not let it happen. Resist it. Break through it. Believe the promises of God. Believe the truth and break through the lies. Because we are recipients of that promise that was made to Abraham on that mountain Moriah. Because we are his seed spiritual seed, and we shall possess the gates of our enemies. Do you believe it? We walk in it. We have to walk in it. Now, let me tell you the story that this story foreshadows. See, the story of Abraham and Isaac is a type. It's a foreshadowing of an even more important story. See, hundreds of years later, another father and son walked up that same Mount Moriah. The father was God Almighty, and his son is Jesus Christ. They walked up Mount Moriah together for the purpose of sacrifice. Jesus carried the the wood for the sacrifice on his back, like Isaac, but this was a cross. Jesus carried that wood up that Mount Moriah that we know as Golgotha. Now, it was in the power of the Father to stop that sacrifice too, but he didn't. He didn't because for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish that the son is going to go and hang on that cross and absorb, take our sins, absorb our judgment for us so we can have forgiveness of sins. And we could walk with God forever and ever. But when Jesus hangs on the cross, he's not only providing forgiveness of sins because our sins are laid on him, he absorbs the judgment, but he's also doing something else. He's crushing the head of the devil, the seed. He's the Abraham, he's Abraham's seed, and he's possessing the gates of his enemy. When he hangs there. And now, for all mankind who is in deep trouble for their sin, the trouble of sin and separation from a holy God is now forever answered by the sacrifice of Christ. And now, everyone who repents and believes in Jesus Christ as their Messiah, their Savior, their Lord, has forgiveness of sin, and they can walk in the authority and possess the gates of their enemies. This story has so many lessons. And I just want to mention just a couple real quickly before we close. Abraham passed the final exam. I call this test the final exam. Because this is the test where you let everything go, even your dreams of what God can do through you in order to come to a place where God alone is enough for you. Not the blessings not all the feelings that come with God, not all the stuff that comes with God, but come to a place where you're tested, where all you have is God. And he's enough for you. Then you pass the test. That's the final test of friendship with God. That's the final exam. That's the, that's the, that's the finish line of Christian maturity. When, you, when, when God puts you in a place where it seems like everything's been taken from you except God, 
even the feelings of nearness to God, all of it's gone. But he's enough for you. You passed the test. Abraham passed the test. But you know, you're not going to know if he's enough for you until the test comes. That's why the test does come. So we will know. We'll know whether or not he's enough for us. Now, in closing, let me just say a word to those, uh, to those of you who are in the middle of the test right now. And Aaron, you can go ahead and come on up here. One of the things you discover when you're in the middle of the test is that the road to Moriah is a dark, it's a dark road to travel. You feel, you feel God forsaken. When you're in the middle of that test and God seems to be working against you instead of for you, you feel God forsaken. You feel it. And it's a dark place. You feel like the spiritual wind is just knocked out of you. You feel disillusioned by the whole thing. In fact, you come to a place where you're not even sure where you stand with God. But you need to know, what you need to know if you're right in that place, and I know some of you are in that place in this room, some of you online. You need to know this about a test. The test will come and the test will go. Abraham's test, when it was over, it was over. Your test will, there will be an end to your test. This is not how your life will be. There will be an end to it. In the meantime, in the midst of it, you have to trust God that when the end comes, he will come through. That's where faith is. Faith says, Lord, I, I'm going to continue to stay true to you. I'll continue to obey you, and I don't get any of what's happening in my life right now. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It seems like you're working against the very thing you're leading me to do, and I don't get it, but I love you. I trust you. You're enough for me. And I believe when the end comes, you'll prove yourself once again to be all good, all loving, all kind, all wise. Some of you are there right now. Some of you are in the middle of it. You'd love to jump to the end, but you can't. You're in the middle of your test. What you need is strength to continue to walk in faith until you're through the test. And that's what this ministry time is for now. So let's all stand. Those of you that are in that dark place, you feel God forsaken, you feel like you're in the middle of the test, you're holding on to faith, but you'd like someone to pray for you because you want to stay true. Stay, you do not want to falter in faith. For some of you, this is like, this is a final exam. You're going to show that you really are God's friend. But right now it's hard. You've got to pass the test. You've got to keep believing. So if you need prayer, you say, I'm in the middle of the test. I sure need some prayer to be strengthened right now. I want to stay true. Then during this closing song, come up, we'll pray for you. Father, you know where everyone is in this room. Lord, you know, Lord, who is facing this test, and you, you put them in the test, Lord. We're praying, Lord, that you just make this a ministry time where you would now strengthen all of us in the test we're in to stay true to you in the name of Jesus. If that's you, slip out quickly and come on up. If you need prayer today, you're in the midst of this test. You don't have to explain your test to anybody. God knows it. You know it. Just let people come pray for you. And you see people come for prayer. Go ahead and if you slip out and come pray for them. So just come lay a hand on their shoulder and begin to pray for them. You don't have to ask them any questions. Take way too long to explain the test anyway. God knows it.
more people to come pray. My hope is you alone. I know the sorrow and I Come on, saints, we need some more people to pray. Come on up. I'll go away if you just say the word. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. You've been faithful, you've been good all my days. Jesus, I will cling to you. Come with me. clinging to you, Lord. We cling to you. you can. We cling to you. We cling. We're holding on. We're holding on. Strengthen us by the power I of your spirit, Lord. Through the laying out of hands, release kingdom power. Let faith rise up. Faith rise up. Strength rise up in Jesus' name. Holding on. God is enough. Just tell him you're enough, Lord. Tell him you're enough for me. You're enough for me. You're enough for me. Trust you. Trust you. I'll go away if you just say the word. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. Yes, Lord. We trust you. We just look. We look up into heaven. We say we trust you. We don't get it. We don't understand it. We trust you. We love you. We'll keep obeying with all the strength you give us. Lord, I pray that you keep any of us from misstepping now, misspeaking, faltering. And Lord, I, I also pray, Lord, that you would just cause a, many of these tests to come to a, a great ending, Lord, and quickly, Lord, quickly. I also pray, Lord, that we'd all walk in the authority we have as the seed of Abraham and being, being in Christ and walk in freedom and liberty, fullness your spirit. Lord, this week we pray that you would just use us to be those who shine a light of Christ everywhere we go, the shadow of the darkness. In Jesus' name.